Good morning. Scripture reference today is Psalms 119, 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I would delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. you that. Here we are. Here we go. All right. Good deal. So back to the New Year's Eve stuff. That doesn't count on my sermon time, by the way. I'm just want to be sure y'all know that. So do you know what the number one New Year's resolution is year after year in America? Anybody? Any guesses? Lose weight. Get healthier, right? All that. That's always the number one. And a big part of getting getting healthier is the eating part, the diet. Um, More commonly known today sometimes as your meal plan. Now, I'm not going to ask any show of hands for who is planning to go on a diet this year, but for all of you, I am going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you out there are planning to starve yourself in 2024? Please don't raise your hand. That's right, you're all Baptists. I already knew the answer. Every, ever wonder why we call it Wednesday Feast Day? There you go. So that one's the easy one, all right? Let's try another one. Show of hands, who plans to not daily read your Bible this year? Chew on that one for a second. In Matthew chapter 4, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He was hungry. Thanks for clarifying, Matthew. Satan comes and tempts him to turn the stones into bread. And in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 4, 
Jesus masterfully ties the Old Testament and New Testaments together. When he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which says, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The implication here of Jesus' words is that to neglect daily nourishing ourselves with the word of God is to starve ourselves spiritually. Based on some of the numbers that we see on Christians who don't see the value in reading God's word, do you know that 63% of Americans say that they are Christians? That's about 210, people, 210 million people. But of that 210 million, only, I'm sorry, of the 300, uh, 360 million, only 11% say they read their Bible daily. And of the 210 million who say they belong to Christ, one out of three admits to reading their Bible seldom to never. Now, based on these numbers, I think it's safe for us to conclude there's a lot of spiritually malnourished, if not spiritually starving Christians in our country, and we can presume also around the world. So, as we enter this new year, it's becoming of us to consider how much time and effort will we put into getting healthy, getting more organized, learning a new skill, or becoming more financially well-off? And how much will we put into knowing God more deeply through reading his word? Today, we are going to quickly consider eight ways in eight verses that God's word works in the lives of believers to nourish our souls. The first is that God's word defines purity. We see this in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. God's word in scripture reveals to us what is pure and what is right. When the purity of gold is being determined, it isn't measured against other gold that may contain the impurities of other alloys in them. It's compared to a standard, the 24-karat gold standard of purity, absolute purity. Without the word of God as the standard for purity, life is simply the book of Judges, where there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Chapter 21, verse 25. But believers... We know there is a king, and he has given us his standard for purity. Guarding our way according to God's word keeps us pure in our understanding of what is good, what is true, and what is right. And it protects us from what is evil. The Bible gives us the standard that we need for knowing what is pure and good. But it also gives us needed direction on how to seek what is pure and what is good. The second work then of God's word is that it directs our hearts. We see this in verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. The primary purpose of reading the Bible is not simply to know the Bible, but to know God 
its divine author. And to know God requires a wholehearted pursuit of what he requires of us. Half-heartedly seeking the Lord will almost inevitably lead to wholeheartedly seeking the world. And this is not because God isn't capable of maintaining our attention and our affection, but because we are, as the great hymn says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. Any fans of the movie Up out here today? Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought there might be a few hands raised. I was hoping so. But are we not like Doug the dog? My master is a good and smart master, and he made me this color so that I may talk. Squirrel! <laughs> we laugh because we know it's true, right? We're so easily distracted by other lesser things. Even things that appear to us to be good things. But the great theologian A.W. Tozer is spot on when he said, whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, however harmless it may appear to me. It's your enemy. On our own, we will never come to the right conclusions about what matters most in life. It won't happen. Our hearts need to be directed to seek God and to know his commands. Not only to lead us to the blessings of God, but also to spare us from the curses of sin. Bring us to the third work of God's word, which is that it delivers from sin. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many of us can quote line after line of our favorite shows and movies, yet we struggle to say from memory any verse of scripture outside of John 3.16. And you may be thinking, yeah, but scripture memorization is optional, Jared. Technically true, but on that same note, continuing in sin, as Paul says in Romans 6.1, presuming that grace will just abound, is also optional. And to quote my guy Spurgeon, the Bible in the memory is better than the Bible in the bookcase. Or perhaps for today, the Bible in the memory is better than the Bible app on your phone, in your pocket, or in your purse. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, as we looked at earlier and thought about, he didn't say, hang on a second, I think Moses wrote something about that. I'm pretty sure David put something about that in one of his psalms. Hang on a second, and then go run to the nearest synagogue and grab some scrolls. It's not what Jesus does. Jesus had stored up God's word in his heart that he might not sin against God. And if the Son of God used memorized scripture to fight off temptation, is it not arrogant of us to consider it optional in our lives? But on the matter of arrogance, let's go on to verse 12. Fourthly, God's word determines our position. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Unlike his creation, which he has given us dominion over, we can understand only what God chooses to reveal to us, whether that be through his creation 
or through his written word. Have you ever thought about that word, though, understand? Have you ever thought about that? If you break it down, you have the words, reverse them, stand under. Stand under. But you see, the problem is, in our sin, we want to stand over God's word. To demand what we want from it. But God's word is not a divine vending machine where we put in the time to read it and it gives us the goodies that we want. Rather, God's word graciously, not because we deserve it, but graciously gives us the daily bread for our souls, providing for us not necessarily what our sinful hearts want in those moments, yet always providing what they need. When we come to God's word, it is unlike reading or studying anything else in the world. Because when we read it, it is actually reading us. As Pastor KJ read earlier from Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The same word that spoke the cosmos into being speaks on the pages of the Bible, creating life for those who will read it with faith. So our position is to humbly fall down before the Blessed One and ask him to teach us from his word with the promise that in his grace he will lift us up. Yet while lifting us up, we still stand under the words, authority, and truth. Not making it say what we want it to say, but believing and saying what it has always said. Which brings us to the fifth heading, that God's word demands proclamation. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. What's it? Like three, four weeks ago now? Four weeks ago? When Bama beat Georgia and made it to the end of the playoff, the news was just too good for any real Bama fan to keep quiet about, was it not? I literally found out about it in the communion line that Sunday. I'm just saying, it was awesome. Everyone was excited. It demanded to be shared. But do we see the good news found in God's word the same way? Once again, Tozer is instructive here, stating, The Holy Scriptures tell us what we could never learn any other way. They tell us what we are, who we are, how we got here, why we were here, and what we are required to do while we remain here. The Bible declares that our Creator, whom we all have rebelled against, has taken the punishment for our rebellion upon himself and offered us through faith and by grace all of the riches that are his. Such news does it not have far more significance for the lives of all people, both now and for the eternity, than anything pertaining to football or anything else in all creation for that matter. As Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out, exhaled 
by God. Echoing back to the Lord who breathed life into the dust when he formed Adam. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So when we go and proclaim the words of scripture, as Jesus told us to do, we actually are declaring with our lips all the rules of God's mouth. Is there anything more valuable, anything of greater delight of which our mouths could speak of? Which brings us to our sixth heading today. God's word delights more than riches. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Again, in Matthew, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Matthew 13, 44. If we understand Jesus here, that the kingdom of God is the treasure, then we can also understand the scripture to be the field. To many, God's word is something they're happy to just pass on by, convinced that it contains nothing of value for them. The Scottish minister and professor Alexander White said, there are two ways to read scripture. The way a lawyer reads a will and the way an heir reads a will. Friends, as heirs of God, we of all people know the infinite wealth his word has for us. And this brings us then to our seventh heading. That when we see the worth of God's word, it draws our devotion. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Reading the Bible without taking time to meditate on it is like trying to cook a steak in the microwave. It'll get the job done, but in the process it loses almost all of its flavor and texture that makes it so savory. See, life for many of us just bounces between completing task and being entertained, usually on some screen. If we aren't careful, this is how we'll approach God's word or why we won't approach it at all. True devotion takes time and intentionality, which is why it's so rare today in our world. See, we're like tough pieces of steak needing to sit and marinate in God's word. By the way, if you're a vegetarian, I have nothing in the way of illustration for you right here, but you're missing out. We need to sit and marinate in God's word so that it does its full work of tenderizing our hearts and filling our minds with the rich flavor of its truth. If we read the Bible to just check a box or for it to entertain us, will likely have no impact on our lives that day or in the days to come. Making us like the man in James 1 who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and then goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. 
We need to spend time meditating on God's precepts if we're going to maintain our focus on his ways. We aren't able to muster up in ourselves greater devotion to God's word, but when we read and meditate on it, on the living and active word of God, it will do its transformative work within us of awakening devotion and love for it. Which brings us then to our eighth and final point. God's word deepens our resolve. Verse 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. In studying for this, I read that only 5% of New Year's resolutions are kept beyond the month of January. And that the main reasons that they fail are four. Procrastinating, lacking discipline, having no game plan, and doing it alone. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Stings a little bit, doesn't it? But if you've ever gone from working out multiple times per week, being very active and exercising often, to working out almost never, and then trying to go, try to go back to working out frequently, you know that it's very difficult, is it not? And it's not that working out wasn't difficult before. It wasn't that it was not work before. It's in the name for crying out loud, working out. It's simply that we all have this tendency to drift towards comfort. And at the end of the day, oftentimes our comfort is just another word for our laziness. But if you've ever been avid in working out, you also know this, that the more you do it, the more you want to do it. Even though it requires putting forth ever-increasing amounts of effort, though it may be strenuous at times, and even leave us sore, exercise in God's word leaves us feeling satisfied and yet simultaneously hungry for that next workout. It does for our resolve far more than any endorphin high following a workout or a run. And the strength and health that we gain from it far outweighs the time and effort we put in. The more time we spend in God's word, in the scriptures, the more we come to love and to value them. And the more we love and we value them, the more devoted to them we become. And the more we want to spend time in them. If these eight verses and eight reasons are not enough to persuade and encourage you to dive into the scriptures with excitement and intentionality this year, I dare you, keep on reading. Whether it's in Psalm 119 or anywhere else in all of Scripture, keep reading. 
the more you read the Bible, the more you'll love to read it. If you're looking for a reason to not read it, you'll always be able to find one. So, let me give you one final reason to delight in reading God's Word. Consider this list we have up here once more. Not as referring to the written Word, but to the incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who at Christmas, in particular, we remember as the eternal Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14 a few chapters later, in John 5, verse 39, Jesus told the Jewish leaders, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. We read the whole Bible and fail to see Christ. We've missed it all. John Stott said it so well when he wrote, a man who loves his wife will love her letters and her photographs because they speak to him of her. So if we love the Lord Jesus, Stott went on, we shall love the Bible because it speaks to us of him. Till he returns or calls us home, the Bible is our letter from Christ to remind us of him. Reminding us of what we could never do on our own, and yet he has more than adequately, adequately done on our behalf. Reminding us that in ourselves there is nothing but death, but in him there is life and that abundantly. And if we truly love him, we will long to be reminded of him every day. So what's your plan regarding God's word in 2024? As you've probably heard before, not having a plan actually is a plan, right? It's a plan to what? To fail. Pick something else to plan to fail in this year. Because in regards to our souls, it's not only a plan to fail. A plan to neglect God's word is a plan to starve our souls. And if you don't have a Bible reading plan for this year, come see Pastor KJ. Come see me. Or, better yet, join a Sunday school class and read the word in fellowship and accountability with other believers. Because like any goal you set for yourself in 2024, faithfully reading the Bible, it's going to take work. But the payoff will last beyond this year and even beyond this life. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, you owed us not your word, you owed us not the goodness of your creation, and yet you have freely given these things to us for our good. Lord, may we not neglect so great of truth, so great a salvation as found in the pages of scripture. Lord, draw our hunger to it, that we may truly feast both this year and throughout our lives till you return or till you call us home for your glory, O oh Lord, but also for our
pray in Christ's name.